I've been teaching on uh, how to detect and avoid snares. And I want to go to Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We're so invited to such closeness that we could even be in God's shadow. I got up this morning and watched the sunrise. It was orange. It was beautiful. And I love the shadows cast at the sunrise and the sunset. Patsy's grandmother from, that lived up in the mountains, she said she loved that part of the day when the sun was starting to set. I think because of her workload, it meant that she could rest. But also the beauty of it, the beauty of it. And the beauty of God being a shade to us means we're close enough to him where his shade is actually cast upon us. It invites us to closeness. Christian life isn't a theory. It's not just a bunch of duty. It's not just a bunch of routine. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. We're to have connection. Uh, we live in a, an alienating, kind of separating type of a world, but we are brought into the kingdom where we're invited into God's presence. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, the Bible says. And we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 talks about God being a God of mercy and comfort, and he's the God of all mercy and all comfort. And he comforts us with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We could actually go out as ambassadors. As we understand these things, confidence is produced. As we walk in this and we see the patterns of it, it puts in a blessed assurance in our context. So when you send your kid away to college, you could trust this. When you get out in your car and strap on your seatbelt and pray in the spirit, if you never prayed in tongues, it comes in handy when you're driving, among other things. As you factor this in, as you factor this in, it produces faith and it produces confidence. Look, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. I love how the psalmist talks about him and then he says, I want to talk to him about him. I will say to the Lord is an admonition for us. We need to speak some things to the Lord. I love hearing from my kids. God loves hearing from his kids. And he loves hearing that we're assured of his promises. Let's say this, in fact, to the Lord. I will say to the, of the Lord, say this with me. My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. I love the Old Testament and New Testament stories, don't you? The Bible says these things were written in earlier times for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. For example, parting of the Red Sea, David killing Goliath, Daniel overcoming the lion's den, and so forth, came handy for me when I went through personal challenges and trials. Haven't they, you? I read about those great stories, and then I, I do what the psalmist said. That God is our God, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are required not just to see snapshots from antiquity, but to realize God never changes. God, the God who never changes is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our God in whom we trust. And as you read this psalm, you say, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God. Make it personal. Take it personally. And he will deliver you from the snare. Look what it says in verse 3. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Snares are traps, something often very deceptively attractive. It tries to catch you unaware, to entice or to catch you. And over and over and over and over again, the Bible teaches that God actually 
is willing and in fact prepared to and inclined to deliver you and me from snares. He'll deliver us from even the snare of temptation. And we're urged to pray that we would be delivered from the tempter and temptation. And God will actually strengthen us. He knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. And with every temptation, he provides a way of escape. And you get great opportunities. I was testifying about an opportunity Patsy and I had when we were young Christians, early in ministry, and we had an illustrious opportunity. It was, a, it was very gratifying to our hearts. We had so much favor. But yet this one, we, we, God invited us to a lot of things, and we did a lot of things. But then this one, I said to Patsy, you know, Patsy, in case this isn't God's will, let's just pray God's will be done. I don't know whether this is God's will or not. It's great. It looks like a good opportunity. Sure enough, it got preempted. And I was peaceful about it. I didn't feel let down because even though this opportunity was afforded us, I took it as a compliment. That was about it. It really ultimately wasn't something God wanted to do. I just got a recently an amazing invitation, a great opportunity, and I had this check in my spirit. The person who answered the phone is a highly developed Christian, young Christian. She said, in case it's legitimate, I'll pass it on to you, Nancy. Nancy passed it on to me. I spoke to the people that invited me. Thank you very much. I know you. You know them, but I don't know this other guy. Because of that, the man that makes haste with his feet errs, so I'm not going to do it. So I declined an opportunity just in the last few days. So God knows how to deliver us from snares. And he also walks us through, even if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. The realism of many are the afflictions of the righteous the Lord will deliver them out of them all. Let's go to the book of Exodus. Moses was born here in Egypt at a time when the Pharaoh was demonic. So evil, they wanted to do genocide. And it was one of these first waves of anti-Semitism. The people of God were being oppressed. And the Pharaoh decreed, hey, listen, when they have babies, you let the girls live, but kill the boys. Pretty wicked. That happened again in Jesus' time when he was born. They wanted to kill the Hebrew boys. It happened during the Jesus movement. They started killing babies. God just moves on situations. It's interesting, the evil that tries to encroach during a time of harvest, when the law is being pre presented, when the Savior is coming, or when a revival hits. But we need to understand God will protect us. Boy, this is deep stuff. Exodus chapter 1, God was blessing the great nation of Israel, even in behind enemy lines. And the scripture teaches in verse 7 that the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. See, abundance, that's God's law, abundance. The early church, they kept increasing. With Jesus' birth, he increased in wisdom and stature and favor. We're in a moment of increase. In, in Acts chapter 6, it says, when the disciples increased, a complaint arose amongst the Hellenistic Jews about their widows and that's one of the byproducts of growth is sometimes there's complaining. So we need to not complain. We need to pray for solutions. But there are high-class problems with growth. And this is happening here. And it gets the notice of the Pharaoh. And he, he kept trying to afflict them. He appointed taskmasters over and made things harsh. Verse 12 says, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. There was a move of God that was taking place amongst the Jewish people. And so he said, hey, man, they got together and they said, let's stop this. Let's try to stop this. And it's interesting, too, in verse 19, that gives a shout out and some props to the Hebrew girls. The midwives said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and gave birth before the midwife can even get to them. 
Whenever I see a baby, I know there's hope for the future, period. Well, the Pharaoh saw it and got concerned, tried to stop it. But God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. But then in chapter 2, the birth of Moses, this woman conceived in verse 2 and bore a son. They were both from the house of Levi, the father and the, the mother. And he was beautiful, so they hid, her, hid him for three months. Now, this word beautiful wasn't like Moses is a Gerber baby. Let's save the cute one. It's, there's a destiny. There's a touch of God. There's something there. And they worked to protect. And who wouldn't with any of your children? We protect them. That's what we parents do. Under the shadow of his wing, we find refuge. I mean, God is the God of all comfort, and he's anointed us to understand this. Come on. And so let, get some comfort from this verse. Moses is born. The mother, in verse 3, it says, when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Listen, I've been a dad four times. I'm attached to my children. This just seems like it would have been so hard to do. But it exhibits something in the house of Levi of faith toward God in the midst of all this chaos. Moses' sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile and with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. So when they opened it, they saw the child. Behold, the boy was crying. Here's little Moses, big destiny, called to bring the law to the human race, called to get up on the mountain and come down with clarity from heaven, be a leader. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So the mom is now getting paid to breastfeed her own kid. That is awesome. And how God arranged that. God had Moses' sister there. God had Pharaoh's daughter there. And God had a deliverance for in the context of wanting, them wanting to kill these kids, God provided protection for Moses. Can I hear an amen? Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes back from the wilderness and the power of the Spirit. He returns to Galilee, strengthened. He's been battled, attacked by the devil. Jump off this tower. Uh, you know, I'll bow, bow to me. I'll give you these kingdoms. He says, no. He says, it is written. It is written. Turn this stone into a loaf of bread. No, it is written. God's my source. God's I'm the one to worship. God's the one I love. Jesus comes back. Devil finishes his temptations. He finds the place where is written of him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There is an aspect of this embedded in every Christian. There are things of proclamation. There are things of excellence. There are things of attitude. There are things of prayer. There are things of practicality that you're designed for. You don't see right now. But God will protect you in a basket. God will cover you. And in fact, this is the case with Jesus. He comes in in the power of the Spirit. He's proclaiming things. And the people, even at the beginning, they start to disparage him. Some liked him, some didn't. 
They wanted to kill him. They, they were filled with rage in verse 28. They got up in verse 29 and they drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which they, their city had been built in order to throw the Lord Jesus off of a cliff. Sounds familiar? The devil said, get up on the top of the temple, throw yourself off. That voice said, throw yourself off, throw yourself off. Check out, check out. Don't listen to it. There's something more for you to do. Don't listen to that garbage. That's just an attack from the devil. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Moses was helpless, but he had a praying mama, had a vigilant sister, had a protective God. Look what this says here. I'm gonna throw him off the, tent, off the cliff. But verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went his way. Passing through their midst, he went his way. God is your protector. God is our protector. Moses' protector, Jesus' protector. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And now we just saw everybody say Moses. Say Jesus. And now say Paul. Paul gets called by God. He gets a radical conversion. And he goes to Ananias' house, and he's prophesied over. He has hands laid on him. He, gets, he receives his sight. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He said he's, God calls him to reach the Gentiles and their kings. And God also at that point shows him what things he must suffer. It just is what it is. This isn't heaven yet. There are many trials. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. No less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. God has been so good to us. Who in here would say God has been good to me? Paul is called by God, and he's becoming effective. And in fact, it says in verse 22 of verse chapter 9, Saul kept increasing. You notice this. What's the alternative? I'll just lay under the radar. I'll just negotiate with the terrorist. I'll just back off. The Bible says God's soul has no pleasure in those who shrink back. I'm grateful to God who is merciful to me when I got tempted to retreat and backed off, and yet God in his mercy just kept me in the game. Who in here could say, man, that's a testimony. God is good. He's, he lets me stay in the game. I get apathetic or get complacent or get a he hesitant or get in fear. God will set us free from that because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Hallelujah. So look what it says here. He was increasing. He was in strength. He was becoming effective. He was confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So here's a plot against Paul. And their plot became known to Saul. Their plot became known. Aren't you glad God will give you a heads up? They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large, what? Basket. Basket represents coverage, protection, deliverance. Moses' basket, the mom covered it with that material keep it waterproof. In this case, these unnamed rope holders, not knowing they had 13 New Testament books in their hands, not knowing they had the book of Ephesians coming up, or Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They didn't know. Thank God they weren't passive. Thank God for people who say, man, listen, there's some stuff going on. I'm praying for you. I have your back. Thank God for a church culture that gets up and prays at night and lifts one another up a lady who will write a note to a brother while he's going through hell. People who will stand together and say, hey man, listen, I just want you to know I've got you covered. This is an issue and I'm believing God with you. This is really in effect what the church is to be operating in with this kind of awareness and vigilance. And so he got delivered. Everybody say he got delivered. And then it happened again. 
Acts chapter 23, and we'll finish here. The conspiracy to kill Paul, it says in verse 12, when it, when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath. This is like Pharaoh wanted to kill the Hebrews. This is like uh, very similar to the Pharaoh, very similar to this group of people. Only these guys went on a fast. It says uh, they had an oath. They said, we're not going to either eat or drink until they killed Paul. And I just want to say, heads up, there's a group of very skinny people with their ribs showing, running around, all nervous with their eyes sunken in. They didn't succeed, so they, didn't, they never ate or drank again. They made an oath, and they're out there all skinny, all shriveled up. All There were more than 40 of them. It's a weird group. I wouldn't want to hang out with that group. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. This is like a little snare, a little political snare thing, and a little demonic evil, a little dark thing to try to cripple and stop the advancement of the work. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the... But the son of Paul's sister, thank God for Paul's nephew, heard of the ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, hey, lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. Verse 19, chapter 23. The commander took him by the hand and stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately. What is it that you have to report to me? And here's what the nephew said. The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them, for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse, not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. Now, God instantly provides 470 people to protect Paul the apostle. He called to him the two centurions and said, get Acts chapter 23, verse 23. And he called to him two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to Paul on and to put Paul on and to bring him safely to Felix, the governor, who he later preached to. He wrote a letter and then basically said, hey, let's make sure we cover this. He's, Paul is a Roman citizen. Let's make a commitment to the process. Let's get 470 people to protect it, keep it confidential. Let's dismantle the terrorist plots. The devil wanted to kill Moses, but he did not succeed. The devil wanted to kill Jesus, but he did not succeed. The devil wanted to kill Paul, but he did not succeed. Hear the word of the Lord. That God is our God. And in the world we live in right now, it's handy and in fact wonderful and great to know that God is the shade upon our right hand and that he will deliver us from the snare of the trapper. If I told you what I was invited to, it would blow your mind. If I told you how sophisticated it was, how with fly you business class it was, there are flattery elements to these things. There are illustrious elements to these things. Not everything that glitters is gold. 
And you know, we've got to learn how to be discerning. We don't want to be fearful, but we also don't want to lunge ahead in something that's not of the Lord. But the good news we have is the Holy Spirit always and only will guide us into all the truth. And that that God is our God for Moses, for Jesus, for Paul, for you, for me. The Lord is faithful. God is a heavenly father who cares so deeply about us. Here we are on Family Sunday, and we just celebrated God delivering Moses as a baby before he could lift a voice for prayer. Jesus as a baby, dependent on Mary and Joseph, but more importantly, dependent on the Heavenly Father who protected and covered him when he started in his life, earthly life, and when, we start, when he started in his earthly ministry. When Paul started in his earthly ministry, the enemy tried to stop him again and again, and yet God worked it out. I go to a church that had a stupid flood. The flood displaced us for over a year. During that time, we labored every weekend to try to restore the neighborhood and get things back. We finally moved back into the building. During that time, there's all kinds of stuff going on spiritually. Come over here, get involved with this. If you don't do it this way, you're a Pharisee and all that stuff happening. And then we just had to keep building. It was even harder. There was a flood that hit our church. Then there was a spiritual political thing that just didn't even care about us, but yet God cared. I don't talk often about this. It's a fascinating experience. I've got an interesting testimony forming in my life. And then to see God bring us all the way to this point just underscores just how good he is. And I hope this is convicting, clarifying, faith-building, hope-producing in you. God has preserved you, and there are more things for you to do. Well, I know Moses was anointed to bring the law. I know Jesus was anointed to save the human race. I know Paul was anointed to write the New Testament. What about me? You're the light of the world. It's your turn to shine. You're the salt of the earth. Those guys, listen, Jesus said, these works and greater works shall you do. Moses and Elijah and Jesus and David and Paul and all these people we reference, the Bible says they're a cloud of witnesses cheering us forward. Let this get into your thought life. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. 